You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Token Theater Friends. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. Uh, how's it going for starters? It's going well. I mean, we've we started shows now, so we're kind of finding that rhythm, but I think people are enjoying it. I'm just really excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, of course. So before we dig deep into the themes of the play, can you tell us a little bit about what the play is and who you play? Totally. The play is pretty thick, so bear with me here. Essentially, we follow uh, this church youth group from this liberal church in New Jersey, four teens. Um, Beatrice, my character, is kind of new to youth group. She grew up in the church circles because her mom is the organist, but she doesn't really have that spiritual connection per se. And she decides to join youth group and meets Addie, Chris, and Brian, who are the other prominent teens. And then the play just kind of follows their relationship with their youth reverend, Rev Cat, who is just like this charismatic, I read a description yesterday that was like cult leader-ish um, <laughs> woman in the church. And I don't know how much I should reveal now for people who want to maybe go see it, but I think every character has like a really personal relationship with youth group and also with their faith. And so I think the play ultimately your own personal exegesis is about the things that all of these characters do or the things that these characters say to justify what they do in the play. I guess that's a really great great way of putting it. So like, I mean, and you can do as many spoilers or not as you, as you want. So we talk a little bit about, you know, how you access Beatrice. Like, did you have a similar background? Did you have, what was your relationship to faith, I guess, growing up? And if you didn't have one, that's also totally cool. But how <laughs> do you come to understand a character like her? Because like something that I really liked about the play was that I, I don't want to generalize, but I think a lot of times, okay, I, I am generalizing, <laughs> but we are very used to seeing um, characters who have strong uh, beliefs. They're often seen as like, you know, like either like villains or like, you know, like dumb cult members or just people who need to be rescued. And there's this really beautiful humanity and all these characters, you know, like even if they're very young and you can tell that throw, I love that as well, but they're not, you know, the play isn't judging them. And I guess also like playing the characters, you don't get to judge them either. So yeah, what was it like for you to access Beatrice? Did you have things in common or not? And how did you find your path in her? I think that's one of like the most beautiful things about the play that it kind of presents faith as both good and bad depending on what you make of it um so i think that's like a totally real observation um i think for me and beatrice specifically i feel super connected to her 
So accessing her was honestly kind of like a retrospective into my life as an awkward high schooler who is like desperate to find community. I, I found that Julia wrote her in a way that felt really true to me. And so in that sense, I felt lucky and I felt honestly understood by the text, which is always really exciting going in. I, I personally didn't really have a huge relationship with faith. My family is atheist uh, for the most part. And growing up, we just kind of didn't really talk about our, our spiritual connection. Um, but I have a lot of friends actually growing up who were Christian. And, you know, I went to like the occasional Bible study or play date disguised Bible study, you know? So there were definitely moments of like this young mind sort of entering curiously and looking for some sort of greater meaning. I think I've always kind of had that questioning early on. And so, yeah, I mean, I think relationship with faith is interesting because I don't really have the institutional background in it, but as a person to find purpose in my life, I find myself coming back to wishing I had that that framework for seeing the world. And I, I do think that's actually really true in Beatrice because she's trying so hard to, to feel it. She's trying so hard to genuinely feel it because she wants that. And I think she wants to be not only liked by her, her fellow youth group members, but I think she wants to understand because it can be really lonely to not understand something that people around you feel is the objective truth like when you're seeing something that other people aren't seeing it's like gaslighty and frustrating and painful um and i i think that that does contribute to to my take on her those feelings of of just wanting to belong i really like that you brought up that you know wanting to feel the thing and not knowing if you're feeling it right or wrong, I guess, because how do you know then uh, yeah. when you got the character, you know, like how did you know, okay, I got Beatrice, like I, I'm ready for this. Like does it change every night or are you so comfortable right now that you're like, eh, piece of cake? I think that's a funny question because I think that's a, a big thing that I'm dealing with just like in my artistic process in general about how much or how to fully trust my own feelings in a moment with Beatrice it was hard at first because I don't want to play her insecurity but like she's insecure you know like all of the action that she takes is so much braver than what I would ever do as a kid but it's rooted in in these feelings of needing something and so anchoring in that I feel like I I have that anchor and as long as I do that then Hopefully I can just trust that it's happening, but definitely there are variations night to night. You know, it's never, it's always alive is what I'll say. And I think toggling between, between the awareness that I have as Annie for how much she is playing for laughs or how much she is performing in a teenage way for her peers 
has been a fine balance that I, I'm still like teasing out. So it's been, it's been really fun in the sense that I feel like I know her and I know that she's there, but also still exploring every night my relationship with her and my relationship with the audience relating to her with everybody else, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Cause also, I mean, I don't want to be too reductive with this, but obviously there's so many different uh, parallels and comparisons that we can do between being on stage and just being, you know, going to church. Yes. So like basically you're preaching, right? I mean, not literally, but you can, technically you're kind of preaching every every night so have you talked about about that about the parallels that you find between I guess going to a temple or going to a place of faith and going to a theater which in so many ways is a temple that's actually so beautiful I don't think I've ever like fully made that connection but I do think Julia had that as part of her intention because the play is actually set up as a church service. So it's it's really fun. Like people along with their programs get like a church bulletin and the bulletin just sort of gives you like an order of events, you know, like first we do the call to worship and then we do like children's ministry and words of faith, assurance of pardon, confession of sins, like all of these little subheadings of how a service I mean, I've never been to a service, so I don't know if this is exactly how a service would go, but like sort of that feeling of, okay, what's next in the program? And so we've set up these scenes or Julia has set up these scenes so cleverly relating them back to her experience in church growing up and structured it in a way that has felt, I've heard very familiar for a lot of churchgoers. But I think it's, it's so true that like going to the theater and having this communal experience is so reminiscent of what these kids are going through. We have definitely talked about how youth group kind of, even if you've never been in youth group, you kind of get that energy from just being a young person in like, in like a space where a bunch of people just get thrown together. So in particular, like young theater spaces, you get kids from everywhere you get the cool quote unquote cool kids you get like the dorky kids you get the really passionate kids you get the smart kids you get the curious kids the weird kids and you kind of lump them all together and they have no choice but to kind of figure it out and just kind of do something and you become friends with people that maybe you never would have become friends with before just because you share this passion or interest for this unrelated thing that just happens to mean a lot to you. And I think that's absolutely true of faith sometimes, especially youth group. And also, especially of, uh, you know, the arts of performing arts since 2020, I would say, since the pandemic started, like I feel for people who work at every level Yes. Uh, in every field in the arts, it's kind of been like an exercise in faith, right? Like going back and hoping that things would reopen, hoping that people would want to come back. So for you, what was that thing that that kept you going since since 2020? You know, what made you not want to become something else? I think it is that feeling of hope. I, I think the more that I work, the more I realize that like 
our my life is just fueled by hope like hope seems to be my driving force and maybe that's just because like the older I get the more I realize I really have no way of knowing what's going to happen and a lot of my journey has been about like learning to release control or like perceived control that I wish I had over my life I think throughout the pandemic a huge part of it beyond just like blind hope was also community. Um, I lived in Philly before I moved to New York and I had just like a greater sense of community there because I had been there longer, you know, not that I don't have community in New York, but I think the people make it worth coming back to. And this project is especially important because I think the people that I'm working with all are not only amazing at what they do, but just care about the story that we're telling together. And I think when you have that and you pair that with like the hope that people will like it or the hope that it'll get produced or the hope that you'll ever work again, it's all just like this forward momentum of people lifting each other up. Uh, also once again, connected to faith, I guess. like. I don't know. There is something very like spiritual about the 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 art of what we do for me personally. Not to get too like heart driven, but I do think that is my work. That is our work, you know, very emotionally driven. So if I'm not mistaken, I, I your resume it says that you have a BA in economics. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you go? It's like, you know, like just talking to you, it just strikes me that uh, what you were saying earlier about, you know, like trying to figure things out, how trying to figure how things work, that's kind of, you know, both the territory of uh, faith, I guess, and also of economics. Like my father's an economist and he always tells me it's not about numbers, it's about people and it's about how people behave and all of that. So. Is that what got you into um, economics? Like, I don't know. I know nothing about <laughs> how that works. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've stepped into my econ mode, I will say. I really got into economics because my dad was also an economist. My brother studied it as well. A lot of the, the people in my family who went to college actually studied econ, although they were mostly all men. Um, I got into it kind of because I didn't know what else to do. And my dad also also had sort of a similar take, which is that like, it's not about like, it's not really about something specific. It's just like another way to see the world, you know, and, and it's, it's used as theory to sort of understand why people behave the way they do. And I always thought that was interesting. I don't know if I fully agree anymore, but I did enjoy the math and I just really felt unmoored in college. Like I, I really didn't know what my path was. Um, so I just kind of went with it, honestly. I wish it was a more glamorous story. <laughs> I just studied it and I got through it and learned some stuff. But once I was done, I was like, I'm glad I, I tried that out 
you know, I gave it an honest shot, but I don't think this is where my heart is. And so I kind of pivoted. What have you brought from the world of economics into the world of art and the world of being an artist? I have to think about that one. I have to think about that one. Well, no, no. I mean, I think, first of all, just getting through any degree period or like go going through the experience of college, not that everyone has to do it, but for me personally, just being in that space for four years and going through that formative time of questioning oneself constantly, because I feel like I feel like college can be so hard for young people because it's a new place, you're lonely and you're kind of, even though you have like this infrastructure and some level of institutional support to just kind of like get you through your time there. As an, in, like, I think that's one of, one of people's first moments of like actually feeling like they have agency over their life and having to sort of deal with that. I think just that durational aspect of being in college for me was important as an artist. Like, I don't even know if I could have done it if I had just gone to school to be an artist. I don't think I would have fully understood what that meant to me. But because I went through this intense period of like searching for something, not feeling satisfied by what I was doing completely, because there are parts that I did like. I liked the math aspect of it. Um, the the feelings of like being kind of lost in this huge institution. I think that feeling actually triggered the need to find something that I could hold on to. And I went to UPenn, so big, big school. And not like the biggest theater program, but there happened to be a lot of extracurricular performing arts. So we had like probably more than seven theater groups. Um, yeah, like 14 acapella or something like that. It, it was really intense. Like a lot of people needed art at Penn, which, you know, make make of that what you will. <laughs> but but um, I was lucky enough to just kind of have this out of academia experience to explore relatively low stakes the kind of the kind of actor that I wanted to be the and the kind of shows that I wanted to be doing because each group has like a very specific focus so I just kind of like jumped in once I realized that this was what I wanted to do I was doing like a show as many shows as I could really. And that was kind of like the brunt of my experience acting in school. But having both of those next to each other allowed me to sort of like play off of that tension that I was feeling internally between like, do I want a more conventional career or an artistic one? And I think the arts ended up kind of pushing in, pushing into like a haven of sorts and that really fueled me to keep going in the end. What were some of your favorite roles that you played when you were doing every play that you could? <laughs> I really, I, the first show that I ended up doing with like this extracurricular theater department was Spring Awakening. And I think 
maybe just because it was like the first time I had truly entered the theater community, that one will always be kind of special. Um, I played Ilsa and, and yeah, I think like, because she is sort of like this free spirit character anyway, I felt so much possibility in her. It was like my first foray into the Penn theater scene and she sings like some of the most beautiful songs. I met some really amazing people. And so I will always remember that show and it'll always be really precious to me. And then apart from that, I actually did a couple departmental shows with like a mentor that I had or that I still have. I don't know why I use past tense, but uh, her name's Brooke O'Hara. She teaches directing at Penn. Um, and she was just like such a formative teacher that I had there. And she's still my mentor, but we worked on this play called Of Government by Agnes Berinsky, who is actually about to do a, a play at Playwrights Horizons, which is really exciting. But um, yeah, it was like nine, nine women slash femme people kind of in like these loose vignettes. And the character that I played just also was imbued with so much hope like hope that she that hope and not only hope but like confidence that she could change the world around her she was like running for local office and you know one would think like okay bigger they're they're constantly bigger better bigger better but this character was so not only satisfied but fueled by the power of of working small and creating small change that was like sustainable and intentional and caring and I think characters like that sometimes take me out of myself for a little bit because I think it's so hard not to get caught up in the anxiety of like what's next? What am I going to do next? Like, what's the next job? What's the next job? You know, as especially as an actor, but really any artist or any person who's gigging kind of, um, and having that character to kind of remind me that there is so much more to life has stuck with me for all the years I've been out of college, really. So that one also meant a lot. And I can also imagine, like, I don't want to add more anxiety or stress to your life, but I can also imagine that knowing economics and trends, you also can kind of be like, oh my God, like, where's that next thing happening? Like what, you know, it's kind of like predicting the future in this like very twisted way. And, uh, you know, do, you love math, you said, and you were good at math. And I admire people who are good with numbers so much. And I wonder, is there some kind of safety for you in, in math? Because I hear people who love math say that there's like this comfort in how, um, you know, steady it is. Like one plus one is always going to be two. Is it two? No, I'm kidding. It's always <laughs> going to be two. Uh, and then like life isn't like that. And that was the one thing about math that I just never got into. Like I would argue with my uh, third grade teacher about like why do I have to multiply like why can't I don't know this <laughs> times this be something else and she'd be like because no there's only one answer so does math give you some sort of comfort in a way 
Absolutely. I will say I never really got into like the the pure math world. Like whatever they're doing over there is way above my pay grade, you know. <laughs> like, and I think I I do think once you kind of get to that level, it really does become like its own spiritual experience because it's it's really becomes about like the principle of like math like math like why why math why is math and once you get into that philosophy like that's they're doing art over there you know but for me I think it was always yeah the steadiness of it I think the way that I knew there was an answer at the end of it, the type of math that I enjoyed doing. It's like a function or or like sort of pulling a, a function apart to understand why we have the function or creating the function. It did for a while come down to like, why? Why, why this function and why this math to represent what people do? Like, it was so interesting to me how we use numbers to reflect people's behavior and decision-making that, I mean, like, I don't, I wasn't doing like hardcore um, delving into this, but I always thought that was like kind of beautiful and doing the arithmetic of it definitely gave me a sense of peace because even though people are totally unpredictable, in some sense, and they never behave perfectly, at least the function will like give you a semblance of that. And I do, I honestly think it's one of the weaknesses of econ, not to be like punching too hard, but, but yeah, like people can't really be contained or defined by, by that ever. Like we're impulsive, we're spontaneous. And it's funny because like, I feel like that's so much of the rhetoric in acting. It's like, spontaneity being in the moment being present following your impulse and that's that's the part that econ can never fully capture in its math we try so hard but it, it's it can't be perfect but that's interesting that you bring that up because I do I do start to think that it maybe was just kind of like a coping mechanism maybe for me it's what you're saying about you know uh Oh God, I already forgot the words because that's how bad I am at math. But you were talking about unpacking basically formulas and like getting to the root of things. And you kept saying, you know, but why, but why, but why? And I kept, you know, wondering like, is this also how you figure out Beatrice? Like, is it, I, I don't want to say this, it, do characters become a formula? But, you know, when you first get that script, they must be kind of like a math problem, right? That's like, how do I get there? Like, how do I turn into this person that I haven't met until today? Yes, definitely. I think something that has really helped me is, and especially since Julia has written such an incredible, incredibly rich text. Yeah, kind of not that it's math or formulaic, like you said, but knowing that it's all already in the pages and using that as a baseline, as my way in. Like I, I release myself from the pressure as early as I can from the thought that I have to like bring everything to the table because in reality it's already there and I just need to like pick it apart. Um, 
the why is super important to me personally. I imagine it's important for a lot of people, the why of their character. Um, I think for, for Beatrice, yeah, it kind of all, I mean, yeah, I think for everyone, it kind of comes down to like, what do you need? What do you want? Not necessarily always, because I think there are some really beautiful plays that have actually nothing to do with wanting anything. Amazingly enough, I think it's beautiful. But um, for this one, definitely being young and emotionally adolescently charged, trying to find your place. I think the wants of all these kids, but particularly Beatrice, is palpable. Um, it's so clear to me what she is looking for. And it was very early on in the script. So in that sense, I, I felt lucky that I, that I was able to understand that part a little earlier on, um, because it does, it does make it so, it gives you so much perspective about like why we do the things we do that like drive, I guess we all have that drive as humans. Going back to when you were figuring out the kinds of characters that you wanted to play, has that changed from back all the way when you were in school until now? And if so, how has that changed? Like what drives you now to, to the characters that you want to play? For sure. I think I used acting very early on as sort of like this emotional like spigot that I could like, like I use my art as catharsis, which is not really like the healthiest thing. But when I was really discovering that, I wasn't a very like emotional person growing up. And I, and it's interesting because I, I am so emotional. Like I, I operate so deeply out of emotion, but I wouldn't really like recognize that in myself as a kid. And so once I discovered acting, and how much it is about like understanding oneself before you even understand like a character fully. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like I want to play all these characters that have like a huge emotional response because that was what was enticing to me at the time. Like the feeling of being able to like release was so attractive to me. And now that now that I've been doing it for a while and now that I, I feel like I've developed a much more sustainable point of view of my own work and I'm reading more work that is like exciting in different ways, I think I've kind of just expanded to like not only what I want to do, but what I believe I can do. I think there was a period where I really limited myself to the types of roles I can play and they have to be really close to me because I don't, I felt like I didn't really know how to transform. And maybe I still have some like insecurities about that. But I think as I get older and the more I watch people work, the more I realize that like, it's all there. Like every, every person can, can do this. Any person can do this. It's just kind of about like your individual take and whether or not people will give you the opportunity to do it. And so, um, yeah, I'm just kind of excited to see what the future holds. I don't really like plan out like 
that or I don't really have like specific goals of like this is the kind of character that I want to play I definitely hope that in the future I can play someone who's a lot farther away from myself just because I want to stretch that muscle a little bit but I think that realization that I had all the muscles to begin with that I have them and that it could happen that's something that has taken like longer to develop and has definitely shaped like the kind of trajectory that I'm hoping for that's that's really beautiful like I love I love what you said right now and I forgot to say earlier by the way that I have I think I've been to pretty much every kind of service on earth so feel free to ask me anything about services uh, <laughs> of any kind <laughs> especially when I was in in New York and I was trying to um shop for churches like a pastor called it just like oh you're shopping that's very common here Oh my gosh. Yeah. What was that experience like? I mean, what were you looking for? I think I was looking for the things that you're talking about, the things that, you know, just as human beings, we're always looking for, you know, like a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of belonging, a sense of wanting to know why things are. And I, you know, I grew up atheist as well. So it's, uh, it's always nice and very uncommon to meet fellow, uh, you know, kids who were atheists growing up. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like, I guess I always craved some sort of structure. So I was shopping for churches and I went in temples. I went in, uh, oh my God. Like, uh, yeah, this would be like, uh, this would take forever for me to tell you like every kind of thing that I did. And I don't even know that I found what I thought I was looking for, which is, I guess, like that's the, uh, both the blessing and the curse of being a human being, right? Sure. But I wonder if that, like the search itself is like part of that, you know, like, I, I feel like it's part of our human nature slash destiny to like, just the journey. Right. And, and Rev Cat actually has a line about that, that it's that faith is about perspective it's like the journey of it that that like changes us maybe I don't know or maybe that's like what we hold on to the fact that it's impossible to comprehend fully or or you know I don't know I think it's really cool that you went on that journey to find something that was right because I feel like you understand more about yourself too and about what you need to to move through the world I don't know if you felt that but I you know I I I, I hope so I think I did but you know <laughs> what you're saying is <laughs> what you're saying is so true because also you know obviously you know they always say that the the journey is the fun part right and like unless you're traveling and going to an airport I don't think like airports are part of anyone's right you know, no. like, yeah ever <laughs> but you know I, I don't want to go like I don't want to get like too like into like this isn't about theology right uh but I I've done research and I've read it I've talked to pastors and rabbis and you know monks and nuns like every kind of spiritual uh advisor and spiritual yoda kind of person I guess that you can meet and something that I've always found to be really interesting that I hadn't thought about until now that you said that about the journey is that, for instance, um, if we're talking about Christianity, for example, 
you have this idea that the prize, so to speak, is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you're like a bad person, you go to hell. And then once you think about it and once you actually start reading and everything, and once you talk to people, uh, experts, I would call them, you know, like priests and pastors, they will tell you that there's no reference at all in the Bible or in any sacred uh, texts in any religion of people who are actually in the bad place. Hmm. So no one really gets to talk about the experience of going to hell. It's almost as if, you know, you're assured that just by following a path, you're on the way to something, I don't know, good. Like no one's ever come back <laughs> from wherever it is that we go when we die to say what happens, right? So it's, yeah, you know, like your journey observation, I think is very, very on point. You have like potential to be a pastor, I would say. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to find a faith first. I feel like that's the hard part finding the one that that you can really stand by because it's hard I feel like yeah I like I said I'm con I feel like I do constantly find myself in this cycle of like wishing I had a system of beliefs but it's hard because like any other system I feel like once it becomes big enough and institutions are in place there's politics you know like I I can't as an adult, it's hard for me to like enter that with like bright eyes at this point. But I think there are a lot of fundamental values to so many faiths that not only are common, but like super wonderful to live by. Like I have nothing against that part. I just, some I sometimes wish, I'm like, I wish I had been indoctrinated growing up. Like truly it would have made things a lot easier. <laughs> And I feel like the people who, that I know who like grew up religious and have left religion have, at least in my experience of the people that I've talked to, like feel more like self-assured in a way that they have made this choice to not either not believe or, or practice in their own way like have their own individualized experience because they got the group experience and they began to think critically about it and now they have like this hybrid thing that that is very personal and carries them through I I it gives me hope that maybe as I continue to grow maybe I'll amass enough perspective and have thought enough about it that I'll have built my own system I feel like to some extent people have no choice because we all will eventually die so there's that but yeah I I do wonder if it's just like a, a time thing now I wonder because also you know it's true like at the end of the day even if you're a member of an organized religion or not we all have a system of beliefs that we live by and some people like even if it's just like something that we made up I'll talk about myself by the way, <laughs> sometimes we tend to be very dogmatic about, you know, religions that we make up ourselves and we expect people to follow uh, that. So thinking about the opposite of that, you know, something more welcoming and beautiful, what are some 
art pieces and I don't know it can be anything from like a painting to an album to a movie to a play obviously or a musical that work kind of like spiritual texts for you like what are some of the things that you go to for comfort for instance or you know do you pray I guess with a song or do you meditate to going to the mat and just like staring at your favorite painting or sculpture or anything like that because I do think that in art there's also like such a spark of the uh, divine and the things that we don't understand. Yeah, definitely. I'm bad with names in general, like specific pieces, but absolutely. Thinking of like visual art, there was a real period of my life where I was really into like Rothko's. And it's interesting because like, I literally know nothing about Rothko. He could be like, I I have no idea who he's like, what he's like as a person. I have really separated the art from the artist. And also like the art itself is very simple. Um, But yeah, there was this period in my life where I would just see them and like feel so much, feel so much, which is so like... (laughs) I don't know, mystical, like there are definitely people who have expressed their skepticism about my appreciation of the Rothko. And and I think that's valid. I really do. I, I have kind of like moved on past that. But one artist that I have always returned to is um, Wayne Thibault, I think is how you pronounce his name. He just, he passed away a couple years ago, but he just made these like really beautifully simple paintings. And a lot of them were of like cakes and pies and like ice cream and stuff. Very like idyllic, beautiful colors, like um, striking contrast in a lot of, in a lot of his paintings. I was feeling really sad the other day and I just like kind of pulled up the Instagram that I follow of just like a, of all of his work. And I just like looked at them for a bit and I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't know necessarily like the quality of, of things that, that give me that sense of comfort. I think half the time it's just like, I'm a comfort watcher. I love to rewatch things because I know what's going to happen. I don't have to worry about the anxiety or like the full investment I can just like be with a piece which I appreciate so favorite musical of all time the bridges of Madison County actually for for the music I used to listen to that album like non-stop Kelly O'Hara man like I, I don't know she she just like sings to me you know and then um interestingly enough Every time I read Angels in America, like, I don't know why. I, I really don't know why I, some of these things have the hold over me that they do. I wonder if it's just like the moment that I found them. I think it's like the timing of it worked out that when these pieces came to me, I needed them somehow. And doesn't that also kind of feel a little bit like Faith making a long circle around but like 
yeah, it, it almost felt like destiny in a way that you just kind of like stumble upon this thing. And it's like, this was what I, the universe gave me what it, what I needed. And that is kind of, that's kind of the perspective that I'm trying to, trying to adopt and hold on to just because at the end of the day, like, that's all we can really do. In my opinion, like we have agency. I have to be better about like manifesting stuff and believing in that part. But a part of me really resonates with just like sitting back every now and then and being open to what the universe offers, not to be too like floofy with it. But I think with art too, allowing allowing myself to remain surprised and be moved and be less of a critic because I think anything and any art at one point in my life could have been really formative and it's just a question of like what does the heart need in that moment yeah I don't think you need religion you know everything basically you're <laughs> everything you're saying is what we get <laughs> by you know, trying out religions and stuff. I think you're good. Uh, so you, you said Kelly O'Hara and that's like, you know, like you, that's such a trigger for me because now I just want to know to build a home or always better. Like which one do you jam to, I guess, the most? Oh my gosh. They're both so good. I will say always better. I have to actually like, I had to take a break from that one for a bit because yeah. Oh my God. You can only cry so much, you know? And, and, and I was going through a breakup. Like it was, it was rough, but I was like, yeah, love is always better. Like, okay, bitch, tell me, like, tell me it's always better because it is not feeling so good right now, you know? But yeah, it, I mean, it got me through that point. And then after a while, I was like, whoa, you need to take a step, take a step back. Let's build a home let's build a home. So that's where I am kind of right now. I actually haven't listened to it in a while, but this makes me want to want to go back. Um, for me, it's always that song, the one where she sings about her sister. What's that one called again? I love that one. It's like a Kiara, but it's not called Kiara, right? Yeah. It's the sister, but it's called, I mean, we have just that. Yeah, we have the internet. Give it a second. That's so funny that you said that because like on um, on Saturday, actually, like, you know, like if Kelly O'Hara ever decided to open a church, I would be like, yeah, right there. I would be there. Yes. <laughs> Almost <laughs> Real is the song. Almost Real, yeah. Almost Real. Saturday night, for instance, I'm based in Madrid right now. I'm here for grad school. And Saturday night, I went to the movie theater because they were streaming the Met uh, Opera, the oh Hours. Oh my gosh, the Hours, like, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I will go anything, you know, I'll, I will go anywhere and I will do anything for Kelly. So yes, there I was, you know, in church while she was speaking to us, so yeah. Absolutely, what an experience. I hope you had a great time. Yeah, uh, well, and catharsis, artist catharsis. Um, yeah, that musical is like, the musical that made me want to be a performer actually and I I wonder if that's why it's like part of my comfort piece because it just holds so much like going there watching it with like these little old ladies like I was 
sobbing. And I don't think I had ever like truly felt something like that as an audience member before before that moment and like naturally it's just like a a sad and emotional story but there was something about the performers there I was just like this whatever I just experienced feels sacred to me and like that's all I want to do I just kind of want to like put out that energy into the world and I don't know if I'm successful I think that's like the journey of it and the growth but I think when I root back to like why do I do what I do that's like kind of what fuels me that memory of like how really how powerful it is and I think all artists kind of have that moment of like that that piece that thing that like made you that you were like that's it like that's the thing that I want to do and I don't even do like musical theater like that I I don't sing anything like Kelly O'Hara not in my lifetime, you know, but that feeling that she was able to evoke in me, that connection between like performer and like random audience member, just like touching me in the literal balcony, like that's precious. And I can only hope, I can only hope. Annie, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much, break a leg. And I hope to talk to you again in the future. Thank you so much. It was so great chatting. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs>